I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Well, hello everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the Disney-themed show from the Front Row Network, and we are so excited to have you back. We are celebrating a very important milestone and birthday this month. Uh, we're doing it right, by the way. ABC already did their special like two weeks before the actual date, but we are very close to that November 18th birthday, the 90th birthday of Mickey Mouse. So we are usually Beyond the Mouse, but today we're we're all about the mouse. Huh? Oh, I love I it. Like that. So good. You like so good. good. You like that? <laughs> my name's Craig, and I've got my co-host here with me. I have Brad Rutherford. Hi. And I've got Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. And we are joined. I thought that this would be a perfect episode. Uh, you all know his work because you're looking at our, our mugs on uh, your stream right now. Uh, but we have a uh, someone in town that is just a fantastic artist and has done so many uh, little pieces and saves these little time capsules for people. It's so amazing. Um, and uh, his work is on display on the Front Row Network page. Uh, but we have Dominic Cellini with us. How are you, Yay. sir? Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm <laughs> real happy to be here. It makes a lot of sense to have someone that's so into animation when we're talking mm-hmm. about um, something that really revolutionized the art. And, you know, yeah. obviously animation was not uh, something that Walt created, but definitely helped in the crafting of the art form and bringing that sound and motion uh, together. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Before we do, I do have two things I want to bring up. First of all, Vanessa, you went to the world since we were uh, since we recorded. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> How was it? It was good. Yeah, it was, it was really great. I did a lot of, um, I guess I, I should have broken down like all the things I did, but I tried to do more of the off the beaten path stuff that you don't normally do. Like I went to the tea room at the Grand Floridian. Was that cool? It was really cool. That's like yeah. one of Anna, that's like on her to-do list. Like yeah. To for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's cool. And I was there as uh, Cinderella and Prince Charming came down the staircase and did a dance in the uh, lobby. lobby. Oh yeah, so cool. I got some really cool footage of that. I was like pushing <laughs> like parents and kids out of the way to get it, but hey, whatever. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Um, did you do Mickey's Not So Scary? I did. I actually did it twice. Ooh. Oh! Yes. How did that happen? I had a very good friend who what, didn't use his ticket, so I used his ticket very and cool. went twice. <sighs> I was. I'm so happy that your friend did that. <laughs> oh, I, 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 see what, I see what happened. Here, yeah, so. you know, yeah. my plans changed. So I moved, and I'm like going, "Hey, wait a minute, Vanessa's going. Why doesn't she go twice?" That was yeah. extremely yeah. nice. Of it me. was extremely nice. Oh yes. well, you know, very cool. So, uh, favorite thing about the party. Oh, either um, night. Uh, either night. Um, mm, gosh, I really wish you would have prepared me for this beforehand. No worries. Um, that's kind of how I roll. <laughs> um, you know, I the atmosphere. I think that's yeah. the one thing that you can guarantee on because I've been looking at a Merry Christmas party as well. Not that I'm not going a fourth time this year. <laughs> I can't. But uh, <laughs> but that's one thing I read when, on all the comment sections of, of which one would you rather go to. A lot of people say Halloween party because the atmosphere, there's just such an energy and people are dressed in costumes and you get candy and it's it's just a lot of <laughs> sure fun. So, well, yeah, both yeah. times. Go ahead. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's what I would say since you put me on the spot. Maybe I would think of something <laughs> smarter had you prepared me. Absolutely. Well, I am also <laughs> going to put our guest on the spot as well. Um, we just released uh, on, you know, on Tuesday, or I guess it would have been Monday night, uh, we lost a legend oh. in Stan Lee. Yes. And we we did a memoriam episode. It was uh, Jeremy Scott, myself, and then Ryan from uh, kind of our sister podcast, After the Hype, and uh, just reflected on him as a pop culture icon and as an animator and as a comic book editor and artist uh, and someone that created so many amazing characters for us. And since they are under the Disney umbrella now, I thought we should at least uh, get your thoughts <laughs> on Stan Lee and did he inspire 
what you do today? Was he a, a, well, was he one of those, or, or what? What was you know? What are your thoughts on the passing of Stan Lee? Well, of course, Stan Lee. I mean, it's one of those things I look at now. You know, I know a lot of people were very um, sad about his passing, of course, because you know we've grown to all recognize him. Not even just in the comic book world, but he's been part of the popular culture. You know, zeitgeist. You know, he's a household name, and it kind of felt like everybody's grandpa or uncle. So you know, there's always going to be a little sadness when he's gone. But really, when you think about his circumstances, he was really fortunate to leave such a legacy behind. Um, the worlds he created and the opportunity he had, uh, I mean, it's an, an artist's dream. Now, Stanley was more on the writing side of things, and I'll admit it's a little bit of a gap in my art knowledge. I was never a huge superhero comic kid. I mainly grew up watching the cartoons, you know, like, like Justice League, Batman the Animated Series, things like that. But like any kid, I loved Spider-Man. I mean, I loved uh-huh. those characters. We all played that. And, of course, I enjoy the, uh, the new movies. Um, Stan Lee, I know there's a little bit of controversy even surrounding some of his relationships way in the past with artists like Jack Kirby. Um, to tell you the truth, I'm not much of an authority to speak on that kind of thing. Uh, I, you know, read things here and there about it, but I'm not as entrenched in that world as mm-hmm. I am so much uh, as with animation. Uh, but that being said, uh, you know, his influence on popular culture, animation, and uh, entertainment in general, I mean, it's, uh, it can't be understated, really. I mean, much like Disney, he's created a world and kind of, even though, yeah, obviously he didn't, you know, create comic books, he didn't create superheroes, but he, he's part of who defined the genre, you know, Mm -hmm. much like Disney did with animation, you know, when we think superheroes, you know, his characters are some of the very first to come to mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's got, like you said, that legacy. I'm repeating myself from the episode we just did, um, which is on the front row network feed, by the way, uh, if you're just a subscriber to the beyond the mouse feed, but, um, you know, we are fortunate if we can leave one, one piece or one memory behind when we leave, right? And this man has thousands, tens of thousands of different individual that. characters, pieces yeah. that he's built, and that legacy will go on forever. So Spider-Man alone would have been a tremendous yeah. accomplishment. Right. You know, one of the most iconic characters around the world. You know, everybody knows Spider-Man. Not only that, you got Hulk, X-Men, you know, Avengers. I mean, Fantastic Four. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we've talked about a lot of that stuff. Uh, go back and watch or listen to that memoriam episode uh but now let's let's kind of shift gears and talk about our episode for this month which is all about the 90th birthday of our dear friend mickey mouse and so we're going to break this up into kind of four different uh areas that i want to talk about with mickey and i asked uh all of the folks around the table to think about an area celebrating mickey mouse that they would want to talk about so dominic of course talked about the animation or wants to talk about the animation uh brett wants to talk about the exposure to different mediums and the merchandising and kind of how that developed. Vanessa uh, is going to talk Mickey in the parks and then I want to talk about Mickey for the next generation. So that's what we're planning on doing today and we'll get started right away with talking to Dominic about because you know yeah. he, this really was one of those uh, pivotal moments in animation and a pivotal moment in Walt Disney's life because he had he had sold Oswald kind of well, did sell it, had kind of Oswald taken from him yeah. in a way based on a contract that he signed and uh, he was very much ready to quit altogether and yeah. it was that Hard drive and, Hollywood. and of course uh, Ub Iwerks who helped uh, develop Mickey Mouse as well so let's talk about Mickey from the animation perspective, what would you like to, to discuss about that? It's funny that you bring up, you know, Mickey's turning 90 this month, you know, puts in perspective, Mickey is younger than Stan Lee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Kind of makes you sit back and realize when you think about wow. how long, it's just to think someone was longer, you know, born before The Great Gatsby was written. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. But wow. I digress. Right, yeah, well... It is amazing because when you think about Mickey's introduction, Mickey 
kind of ushered in the era of sound in film. You know, now Mickey appeared first in Plane Crazy. A lot of people cite Steamboat Willie as his first appearance. I suppose that's more canonically. I can't remember necessarily if it was released before Plane Crazy or something like that. But Plane Crazy was silent. Steamboat Willie had sound. That's kind of what put Mickey on the map. And I think in that one, that's the first time you see Mickey with shoes because in Plane Crazy... He didn't take off right away. You know, he was a little bit too much of a troublemaker. He's almost kind of being too pushy with Minnie. You know, he kind of takes her up in the plane, kind of antagonizes her a little bit. He's a little more of a rascal to um, akin to other characters at the time like Felix and whatnot. Um, After Steamboat Willie took things by storm, um, they started their silly symphonies and whatnot. And if you really look at the animation of that time, not to understate the tremendous talent of, uh, of iWorks, who I really got to bring up um, because Ub is so integral to Mickey's creation and Disney becoming what it was, but he's not a household name like Walt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ub iWorks was more of an animator than Disney was. I mean, Disney was an artist, but he wasn't near the draftsman that the people who worked for him were. Disney's talent was spotting talent, putting people where they needed to be, kind of amassing that sort of thing. So when he put Up to work, Up turned out um, just an incredible like output. You know, I mean stuff that I mean I'm getting carpal tunnels just thinking about how much he did. <laughs> yeah, I mean he really was an innovator. I think it was him that introduced the um oh monthly plane yes yes i was just going to say the disney's use of it at least in um 2d because if you look back at what they were doing in the 20s and early 30s it was very um rudimentary you know there was that uh rubber hose animation Mm -hmm. you know characters they moved and stuff like they didn't have bones you know cartoons when you think about it when you really read about it it puts in perspective how primitive animation was at the time, how new it was. You know, Walt's only previous experience was doing the little, um, uh, these shorts, the Alice cartoons, exactly where it was a real life girl, you know, uh, superimposed with these animated backgrounds and whatnot. So to see where they took the steps from that point where, you know, Mickey, like say he had to reach something on a shelf, his arms just, got longer, you know, just whatever they needed to do. Their draftsmanship really came to light in, I'd say, the mid-30s. And one of my favorite shorts where you can really see the level of draftsmanship raise is... um, I think it's called The Brave Little Tailor. It's 1938, Mm -hmm. and that's one of my absolute favorites. Now, even before then, I would say um, I think it was their first one with color. It was the band concert, Mm -hmm. and that's a great example of how Disney wanted to implement more subtle acting and stuff. It still played broad and cartoony, but what he really wanted to do is says, okay, I want to be able to show that my characters are thinking, you know, less pantomime, less stagey and vaudeville. I want to be a little more, um, I want my things to look more alive. You know, Walt was getting really ambitious. So if you look at even just the leaps from 1929 to 1939, it's incredible what they do. I know we kind of take it for granted now because we think, oh, you know, 1930s, you know, bouncy cartoons, all that. I mean, if you look at um, one of my favorites, um, it's not a Mickey one, but it was from uh, the Silly Symphonies era. It's um, Skeleton Dance. Uh-huh. I used to love that one as a kid. I watched it every Halloween. What they would do... My son uh, loves that. He was watching it, like, no, nonstop. This, uh, do you guys Halloween. remember Ink Club Disney? Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they used to show him, like, way early in the ungodly hours of the morning, and I would um, get up and I'd watch <laughs> <laughs> And that was the one I remember. My dad goes, oh, you loved that one. I... You know, I grew up drawing haunted houses and skeletons. That was my favorite first thing to draw. My parents were kind of worried. <laughs> but so that animation, you can see in um, the skeleton dance, what audiences liked was things coming out at you, things repeating over and over. So, you know, it's good for the animators. Like, oh, we can just cycle this, reflect <laughs> yeah. it. Those dancing skeletons are in a Mickey short, uh, The Haunted House, you know, where... 
the Grim Reaper skeleton comes out, you know, and he tells Mickey to get on the organ. He's like, Mickey's like, I can't. <laughs> puts his hands on the organ, and then we get the same dance, but they didn't care. Yeah. Um, um, you mentioned, yeah. I want to go back to the multiplane camera. Oh, yeah, uh, because yes. uh, for people that don't know, and some of you that are listening are probably Disney files, much like us, and you, you, this will be rudimentary for you. But basically, when we think of a camera, we think of shooting out, and the multiplane basically allows you to shoot down. Um, the scope of these different uh, planes of animation that essentially allow you to um, move a lot quicker because the background, if it's a stagnant background, you can have that background plate down there and then kind of move out the the animation from there. It also gives the illusion of depth. That's what I was going to say. I think he wasn't satisfied with things looking so flat. He really wanted to push it. You know, he's like, innovate, innovate. And you think about it, going from, you know, 1929 Mm -hmm. to 1939 and someday we're going to have to talk Snow White and because that's what started it all. Oh yeah. Um, and you know it was thought of at the time as Walt's crazy experiment experiment, Walt's folly, it's going to yeah. never make it. Like, right. No one thought that he could do a full length feature but it yeah. was that uh, drive and determination much that and, and fueled by what he built about off of uh, Mickey that yeah. was able to, to bring that yeah. full circle and now now, um, for those of you that don't know as well, Walt is the voice of Mickey. I was just going to say that. Aww. Yeah. Um, which I think is so and cool. And Minnie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He voiced him until, what was it, sometime in the 40s, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. by the time he moved to their Burbank studio, they got a lot bigger. I think he was so scattered. He was so yeah, thinly was spread. Busy. And he mm-hmm. smoked a lot. I was going to say. <laughs> hard to keep that falsetto. Yeah, hard to keep that falsetto. Right. You know, yeah, not to go on a, like, a little um, tangent aside, That's but all this show is built on our little television. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen um, Saving Mr. Banks? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a very flattering portrayal of Disney for the most part because Disney, you know, made it. Um, but one thing I always heard about Disney and the um, animator Floyd Norman, who uh, you know, was one of the last animators still there, who I had the privilege to meet, who knew Walt wasn't super close with him. I won't, you know, right. put words in his mouth. But he knew what it was like when Walt was at the studio working there as a young, you know, starting artist. And he said before uh, Walt would come in, he had his smoker's cough that always would announce him coming down. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. before he entered a room, if you heard down the hall, <coughs> you know, that kind of yeah. Thick cough. You knew to get to work? Yeah, exactly. Look busy. Look busy. They used to say man is in the woods. No, <laughs> I, no. Brett will be happy to know that I am reading his book that Marty Scholar wrote. Uh, yes. <laughs> and even though I'm taking I my sweet, that. sweet time with it. Uh, but Same yeah, way. I'm in the part where he's talking about working with Walt and, and during the recording, he's um, you know coughing and kind of blaming Marty because he's written things out about dinosaurs. It's too difficult for him yes. to say. And really, he's just like hacking through the thing. Well, um, it's funny because in Saving Mr. Banks, like I said, it's a flattering portrayal, except there's one scene right before Tom Hanks walks on where um, um, Emma Thompson as P.L. Travers is sitting in the waiting room and they're saying, oh, Mr. Disney, we'll see you now. And you hear in his office in the distance, he has a big old... <coughs> It comes out. Oh, Miss Travers, you know, his charming self. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And so, let's talk about Mickey and animation amongst all of us, and what that has what that has meant uh, to us. And if there's any shorts like that that we want to mention, but I I have to say that it's it's really those shorts that occur in the 30s when uh, Disney knows he's got something here, and he just starts pumping these things out. Um, and that's where we get a lot of those classics. And I know, Brett, this will start to tie into your side of Mickey Mouse as well, but I know you have a lot to say about the shorts or the, the animation um, and the ones that you like, uh, especially you should mention that people can go out and buy that Celebrating Mickey. Right, um, Celebrating Mickey, which um, I don't know if it's – well, actually, I think some of the um, – it's on DVD marketing, as well. Yeah, yeah. It, um, some of the marketing um, it's related to the the 90th uh, mm. anniversary, the celebration, and it has it's it's not all of the animated shorts, but it's a, a really nice selection. Um, and and I I don't know that I've actually prior to that I don't know that I've seen the entire Steamboat Willie, but I did. How long is it? Um, the entire DVD is like um, an hour and hour and forty five minutes. No, I meant the Steamboat Willie. Oh, Steamboat you, Willie. 
Really? Oh, I think three it's hours. an hour and 45 minutes. Yes. <laughs> Pack a lunch. Um, no, I, I think that we're used to seeing it for about 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, for seconds. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. for seconds, you know. But yeah, I don't know. It's six minutes or so? Okay, yeah, it's, seven, it's seven. pretty brief. It's long? I mean, can well, you imagine? Yeah. Long for that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, at 20, 30 frames a second? How were they 24 frames a second? Gosh, I'm trying to think back then because if they still animated on twos and ones, that's a little animation jargon. Animating on twos is, you know, like 20 frames, I'm sorry, 24 frames per second, things like that. You animate on ones. It's animating on ones don't do it. It's yeah. a way to never get work done. So you do it on two. It's every, um, you divide the seconds up, you know, into, um, you know, the 24s. Mm. So you animate on twos. That's okay. We get two. Now on four, you know, on six. And you compile up 12 of those, you have a second of animation, <laughs> of traditional Gold. animation. Gold oh, is right. <laughs> I mean, the work that, uh, <laughs> you know, the old guard put in, uh, I mean, it's, it's unheard of. Not that... Um, Technology necessarily makes uh, makes the animation for you. It does not mean that uh, they're not hardworking today. I mean, animation's never easy if you want it to be good. That being said, though, uh, doing that on paper, second by second, I, uh, <laughs> and then that, painting that, it. that takes yeah. mental resolve. Yeah. And, uh, and that, we should mention, speaking of painting it, you know, a lot of times when you hear about Disney, you hear about the Nine Old Men, and you hear about all these amazing animators, but little known, and I think they're getting more credit now as time has gone on, but many of the women that worked for Walt Disney Inking that were in the ink and paint shop, mm-hmm. and really, those ladies were working just as hard as those men. Um, Absolutely. How about the in-betweeners that were yes. <laughs> everything in but you know, you know yeah. this is it and this is the movement. Can you please, you know, make you know oh my gosh, it's well, just and we don't even hear a lot about the people before the nine old men that he brought on, like Norm Ferguson and even though Les Clark was one of the nine old men, Les Clark had been with him since the beginning and things like that. And some of those people, yeah, he brought on. Um, there's a couple of Scandinavian artists, believe it or not, and I'm gonna butcher their names if I say them, I'm not to sound uninformed. I can come back and put them in a comment or something <laughs> like that. You know those things with like three yeah. A's. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a mess of vowels. Um, it, it's so neat to see like the hierarchy, and you see their draftsmanship just kept getting better at a certain well, point. And they had art classes. I mean, yeah. he was creating. They this... still do. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, it was just fascinating the whole history, which, which you know, I I think um, which Craig you're reading in um, Walt Disney: The Triumph of American Imagination by Neil Gabler. I I, <laughs> I, I, I I am not reading it. I am listening to it because I read at the speed of a two year old. Um, but it is extremely interesting. You learn so much about. I mean, like you were saying, uh, almost too much detail about Walt. You get you know, like I think Brett's uh, Brett's words was I didn't know what he I didn't need to know what he had for lunch on a Tuesday in 1955. Yeah. But, um, but you do learn an awful lot. And we should say that, you know, the speaking of, um, of images and how the Disney company and Disney yeah. family would like to present Walt, um, they weren't overly thrilled with Neil Gabler no. because of the, particularly about the union stuff. And, and well, that's, all, that's yeah. still, but, and that's, you know, like yeah. sort of in, in Disney lore and Disney animator lore, there were people that left the company, which are, are Babbitt, yeah. which, which I think, you know, they, you know, they were it's as though they had never been there in, yeah. in ways. Their contributions are there, yeah. but um, but that's just. I mean, you're dealing with a human, you know. Mm-hmm. You're dealing, exactly. and you know, and because I think because and an of ambitious his, human, right? And because of his experience with some businessmen at the time who who he didn't feel um, worked in well at an honorable level that he wanted I think that that sort of followed him throughout his lifetime as well and plus you're talking you know you're looking at at a different time yeah you know, and I, you that, know that's and, that's the thing it's like I don't want to go say. down like it's such a such a huge tangent of Walt's uh, past and we should at some point maybe do like a, a, a whole like uh, examination of Walt um, for an episode but um, <laughs> when you finish the <clears throat> yeah book, um, <laughs> Uh, I need to finish the book. I need to watch Pollyanna, Brett. I get it. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm in the same boat. I, he's uh, not letting me live down. I haven't finished his book. I've had it I'm for like, months. I did it in three hours. The audio book is 
22 hours long. Anyway, oh, um, so uh, anyway, but we were but talking about Walt the films. Walt yes. saw himself and like you know, polit like this isn't politically. I am very far away from Walt's thoughts. It's a different day and age, but Walt thought of himself as a, a true uh, American story and a true exactly. patriot. Um, and so when he put it in terms the the whole Red Scare stuff, plays yeah. like that, oh, so he put it very much in terms of. I am an American first. This is my patriotic duty to do these, and I think that that's also that's also where the union stuff where they where I they butted heads as well. Can, but you know, it, he's still a man. Formed, but how his opinions were formed and how he was treated by yeah. others that yeah. were somewhat associated with um, yeah other yeah. groups. So, exactly. but but anyway, but we, we digress. Uh, yeah, it got yeah. under his but skin let, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's start to move <laughs> over. We can definitely still oh, talk yeah, about yeah, shorts and. Brief, yeah, briefly favorites. Um, Steve Boat Willie watching kind of it really, or at least as an adult person watching it for the first time was fascinating. I'm like going, hmm, it's interesting that this collection has kind of a wide range of uh, of, uh, of Mickey titles, and they're at different times because you get to see kind of his growth. And um, and uh, I also think that um, that they were conscientious of the audience that they were preparing this for, and that. Um, with our own sensibilities and without being a revisionist uh, in our views of 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 art and and animation of the time, but there are you know things that that they that were in these films of the time that we would not um, condone or really even find entertaining at all. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. but but anyway, Steamboat Willie he was he was a rascal in that one, and I think in some earlier ones he was you know he was um, a little petulant and yeah. all of that sort you know, but. But then he kind of becomes in one after his popular when his popularity grows he grows he becomes a little bit he more mainstream. he becomes a little bit more mainstream and a little bit more just um, a happy character that is you know your best pal and yeah. and some and a character that you'd want to hang around with and have a good time cuter um, almost yeah, cuter yeah. yes yeah. well more marketable to anyway yeah let's but, transfer um, let's, you know, let's start talking about okay the, I mean well, we could talk about animation forever and I. I think that we should at some point. But Mickey's but, evolution as a character yeah. is very interesting. Especially. And it, oh, it, it really yes. steps up. I did sure. notice yeah. one thing looking at these shorts is that, um, you know, he was originally going to be called Mortimer, the yeah. mouse, until I think uh, uh, his, his wife, wife yes. William, said, yeah. you know, call him Mickey. <laughs> um, but then if you look at that short, I don't know, Brett, if you watched it, uh, Mickey's Rival, there yeah. comes a mouse named Mortimer, Mortimer who <laughs> is like a really rascal of a mouse. And I knew him from House of Mouse, I think. Think it was? Oh was yeah, it sure, sure, yeah. And he looks the same. You know, he comes in and he's talking. You know, yeah. <laughs> what does he say? Hot cha cha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's kind of like a, a good time guy. But. Well, Mickey got you know post war, and I'm sure you guys will go into this. Mickey got more domestic, even you know, even when he was humble, he was still pretty adventurous. But after uh, let's say by early fifties, he got a lot more domestic. I think he lost his tail for a period he, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> lost his wild side is animal side. <laughs> well, it was just conveniently tucked away in those lovely pants. That's right. Anyway, so. But I do want to move to the, the marketing piece mainly because oh, yeah. uh, I think about... I don't know, probably 25% of my annual salary now goes to merchandise uh, that, has, yeah. that has Mickey Mouse's... Disney Shop is running a sale, I, and they have, they like, always free run, shipping. They do that to you. And I'm, like, buying all these Mickey stuff. I'm like, oh, man, Oh, seriously. I got to hit that $75, so it's free shipping. Well, then it's free shipping now. You can get oh, free shipping. That's everything. why they got me. Yeah, I got myself... <laughs> who needs this? A Mickey Mouse timer for my kitchen. I needed it. Oh, of course. I and there was a big QVC sale over the weekend. Mickey's Anyway, in Diamond. They got to a point, anyway. they got to a place as a company where they can sell us different styles of Mickey ears for twenty-eight dollars. That all that they do is scream that we are uh, beholden to their merchandise. So <laughs> okay. let's talk where about how begin? that began. Where did it begin? Okay. Um well I in, to attribute this my information um, correctly, um, I I was I stumbled on, I Googled slash um uh, an article that was from the Walt Disney Family Museum website blog, and it was um, from a presentation that was um, that held um, June eighth of two thousand twelve. 
And um, it was a really interesting article. Um, I kind of have just some of the points that, um, and it, it sort of refreshed my memory of some of the things, and I learned some things as well. So anyway, the Disney character marketing actually began with Oswald the Rabbit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, but the real spark of Disney marketing came when Walt had a chance meeting with a New York at a New York hotel lobby in 1929. A man approached Walt and offered him $300 in cash for the right to feature Mickey Mouse on a children's pencil tablet he was going to produce. How's that? Later, when Walt was recalling the story, he said, as usual, Roy and I needed money, so I took the $300. Anyway, I'm like, like... Well, and when you read about him, you just need, it's so interesting that, I mean, they put everything into whatever's next, which, which eventually will cause problems throughout, the, throughout their history, but it also, um, well, created the company that we have today. But anyway, the first merchandising contract was signed by Roy Disney with a New York manufacturer for figures and toys based on Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. And then a syndicated newspaper comic strip soon followed. And Mickey began bringing in much-needed revenue for the Disney Brothers studio, but Walt knew that there was potential for a lot more. Now, the real, real beginning and success of Disney character marketing and how Mickey Mouse began began and to earn status as an international icon started with a phone call from Herman, also known as Kay, Kamen? who was a Kansas City ad man. Again, Kansas City. There's mm-hmm. this through line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, the Midwest? Why? Yeah, I trust someone. We're the, the home Midwest, of Mickey. Well, you know? I'm say it. I think Chicago, Marceline, Kansas oh, City. Yeah. That area. Yeah. So anyway, so... I'm, What's right in the middle of all that? Springfield. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have to have been here. Oh, okay. I'm sure. <laughs> 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 well, on the way... On the way... Well, yeah. on the way to Marceline, he would have been somewhere around in saying I'm sure County, he drove he? Route 66 yeah. and nothing else. Okay. Well, I don't think there was a 66. Well, there wasn't even a room. Well, anyway, sorry. Okay. <laughs> but the phone call led to an invitation to meet with Walt and Roy in California. The Disney brothers were very impressed with Kay and his ideas, but they were also on the same page in terms of allowing of only allowing high-quality merchandise to be stamped with the Disney name. Aha. Quality. Brand quality. Yes. Then on July 1st, 1932, um, came and signed with Disney. The contract outlined a 50-50 split of the profits, a deal which both sides were highly content. In which both sides were highly content. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm reading this. Anyway, can you imagine the Disney doing a 50-50? No. no. Yeah. Do you mind if I chime in here real quick? Oh, sure. Yeah. So around this time, I think he was still in that little print shop studio. Um, I think it was still above a print shop in Los Feliz, I think. The print shop is still there, and I think it's still a print shop. Oh, oh, awesome. It's on Los Feliz. It's a little nondescript building on Kingswell Boulevard and about five blocks down from there on the same street was a cute little California bungalow that was owned by his aunt and uncle and that's where he would stay before he got established in LA mm-hmm. he'd stay with them just five blocks you'd be at work that's that's awesome no commute uh, in LA no commute yes. <laughs> no, wow. commute, no commute yeah let's see well the enormous financial success of Mickey merchandise allowed for Walt to finance Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Have you heard of that? Which, in turn, made way for a promising future of the Walt Disney Studios. And uh, Snow White's celebrating 80, 80 years next year, so it is something that we'll definitely have to, to revisit here in the next year. But, um, you know, I, I what I thought was interesting about the, the merchandising, too, are some of the stories that you get out of the Gabler book. And uh, I mentioned this to you as we were walking up the steps to record this, but the when I think of toy trains, there's one name that comes to mind, and that's Lionel. And Lionel trains were in bad financial shape. And they were about ready to close up shop. And then all of a sudden, they merchandised and they uh, licensed to have a Mickey Mouse steam car uh, for Christmas. And they sold over 250,000 units. It kept the it kept the company afloat. And they're still extremely profitable. You know what I mean? Like that. that so it had that level of impact. Oh, in this, huge. You know, like one car kept this historic and like very recognizable brand in business. It was like, I mean, what's so good about the Gabler book is that it takes you back to 
when all of this was new. If you can imagine a world without Mickey Mouse, <laughs> which, you know, so hard, you know, and because, I mean, we were bombarded by marketing. And to think that this is really kind of the first global phenomenon, you know, and that's what's so good, again, about the book is that it takes you there. And then... Um, yeah, and it was kind of like, when, and also in my research that really, as far as movie promotion, that really it was up to each, it was up to you know each theater to do its own promotion. So um, studios would send um, some promotional material or just some idea, but um, Disney certainly ran with that, and mm-hmm. um, so that was all. But it was kind of this this whole when when Mickey was new, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, just became such a huge brand onto itself and helped. It studio and you know it it helped us get he helped us get everything we have beyond that and that's that whole quote and it starts our episode but it's all started with a mouse you know Mm -hmm. and then it it really flourished from there and and gave us everything on the art side of that there's a real interesting uh, it's a brilliant thing Walt did with Mickey's iconography no matter what way Mickey turns his head those ears you always see him those little like club shape it's something like intuitive that he knew because like you said there wasn't this kind of mass marketing in that time but he was ahead of the curve you know he knew now we got to maintain his iconography that's a big principle held in animation but now Mickey's ears sometimes you know defy physics but we accept it no. And we're shortly three dimensional there for a little bit, but then they went <laughs> exactly. Thank goodness, because they did some characters great. are made for two D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, peanuts. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned earlier. You said that where Ub had maybe the more uh, artistic sensibilities. Sure. Uh, that yeah. that Walt knew how to put people in the right place to yes. make them succeed. I'd also add that that Walt was like the P.T. Barnum of his time. I mean, he was exactly. He was the salesman, and he worked. He hard at it and he developed a brand that still to this day is like one of the most protected brands in all of um, in all of our pop culture very protective Creative of the image culture I mean yeah people, yeah I mean you know change public domain laws to ensure <laughs> that um, that they can retain all of those rights to the old animations I, I wondered if we were going to bring that up yeah about them changing copyright laws to keep Mickey because Mickey's going to be a hundred before yeah. we know it uh-huh. <laughs> And, you know, they can't lose Mickey. No. And what's interesting about that, and again, like... Disney's a genius for it in this way. So many of their properties are based off of public domain and the Grimm's fairy tales and things like that. So that way they don't have to pay for those, you know, uh-huh. to use those storylines or to interweave those. And then on their end, they're so protective of their brand. It's just, it's just a really interesting uh, dichotomy. Different times. Yeah. Well, but but I think if you're if you're an ongoing business and yeah, I mean, there's you don't, a difference between. You know, and the and public domain and things that we don't ever think of. You know, brand protection is a big deal too. You know, every now and then uh, there was a flap locally where Pleasant Plains uh, was sent a cease and desist letter from the Arizona Cardinals, and people were freaking out. Like, <laughs> why do the Arizona Cardinals care if Pleasant Plains is stealing their logo? And oh, yeah. it is a big deal because, no, you yeah, know, because you, you your can... brand and your logo mean a lot, and yeah. if someone is putting that on something that is going to be detrimental to your image, then mm-hmm. yeah, it matters mm-hmm. a lot. Sorry, so, yeah. sorry, little Pleasant Plains, but yeah, get sorry. a have Dominic draw a new logo for <laughs> you. Well, you know? thank you, thank you. <laughs> that is true. You know, when you're an artist, and especially Especially if something's your own creation, you know, it, it's a little tricky now because sometimes you hear this when something becomes big and then they say, oh, it belongs to everybody. And there's a part in maybe, you know, this is my personality too. When you're the artist and you create it, you're like, well, it's still mine. You know, yeah. you want to say, well, I don't want them doing that with it. You know, you become oh, like sure, a parent, yeah. you know, you uh, become sure. kind of paternal over it and protective. I think Walt was very protective over his stuff. You know, you always hear about, um, there's this old I don't know if it was an urban legend or if it is true someone was uh, doing these kind of um, you know they had what do they call them like the Tijuana Bible comics you know back then in the 30s where you'd 
you know, it was basically cartoon porn. You know, mm-hmm. it was your, uh, you know, uh, vaudeville era hentai. <laughs> you know, it was, um, and Walt did not want to be associated with that. So when people were drawing uh, anything lewd with Mickey, he'd be like, oh, get out. Mm-hmm. Get out, cannot have yeah. that. He really wanted to set himself apart because something you said was very key. He wanted to be associated with quality and consistency. Um, you know, if you look at the time, Fleischer cartoons were a little more even though I love Fleischer cartoons in their own way, they're a little more raunchy. They're a little more um, um, suggestive. They're, they're a little uglier, you know. Um, they have... They, they don't really have these um, narratives the way Disney did. You know, Disney wouldn't tell a story. You know, if you look at some of their Betty Boop ones, it was like, hey, we got Cab Calloway, you know, we got so-and-so. Just have them do a song, and we're just going to put a bunch of trippy, wild imagery, and, you know, we're just having fun. Yeah. Uh, I think Walt was like, no, we're really building something. Yeah, he was wanting to elevate the art, and he did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, let's start to move into uh, talking about Mickey, as maybe we start to know him today, uh, and particularly Mickey in the parks, because we love to talk about the parks. We love to go Do to we? the parks. We, we love absolutely everything about all the Disneylands and uh, and Disney World uh, around the world. So, um, Vanessa, tell us about uh, Mickey in the parks and uh, what are some of your favorite places to see Mickey in the parks? Yeah, so I'm going to be a bit more nostalgic because a lot of, um, you know, Mickey was left such an impression on me when I was a kid. And as an adult looking over it, I'm realizing that there's now that Disney, the Disney brand has evolved, there's not as much Mickey in the park as you would think. Uh, now, so of course we still have our meet and greet. So we have, um, you know, um, uh, Farmer Mickey, Safari Mickey, Classic Mickey, Sorcerer Mickey, all different kinds of Mickey, Chef Mickey. They have them at the, the dinners. Mickey. Well, that is my favorite one, um, is Magician Mickey. However. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Okay. Vince so now out. I'm getting this nostalgic, a, right? Like I'm going to go to a therapy I'm, session. I know. <laughs> so this year we did away with Talking Mickey at Walt Disney World, which um, if you aren't familiar with Talking Mickey, which surprisingly, um, even though I had been around um, for, I think it opened in uh, maybe 2010 uh, or 2011 in Walt Disney World, it and it ended in 2018. Surprisingly, a lot of people did not even know that existed, that he actually talked. Wow. So I was often, that was like my number one tip for people who were planning was go see Talking Mickey. No, I, I see that. Yeah, now I can't. Um, but he like he spoke to you and wow. seriously my first time going in I thought oh I'm I'm going to be fine I'm going to have a normal <laughs> conversation with Mickey Mouse it'll be fine I got so fangirled I couldn't even speak I was like oh, hi Mickey hi and like he's talking to me and I can't even register what he's saying because I'm so is it just a pre-recorded but he has so many different magic. sayings that right. it's like he's having a conversation with every yeah. guest that comes by it's Disney magic the, mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. a very <laughs> interactive and uh, he wow. even spoke Spanish if you were of Spanish speaking um, and he did card tricks right yeah and like so it, yeah it was really legit and so their reasoning was that they that Mickey doesn't talk elsewhere but here's mm. your argument mm. so here's the thing though <laughs> I did a little history on this because I was like I need to know where this Mickey came from and so they've actually been working for quite some time on what's called um, Disney's living character initiative so this is actually started a long time ago with um, do you guys did you guys I'm so excited about this did you guys ever watch Pooh's Corner yes okay so that's where it started right so Pooh's Corner Winnie the Pooh and his friends talking on TV amazing and they're like it's not a cartoon it's not animated it's it's the real thing then following that this is what got me most excited you guys I've never been able to talk about this with anybody before (laughs) okay Jumbo Circus oh my god I had every episode on VHS. It was my favorite. So that's where it all started, right? So then they started bringing it into the the parks with some of the stage shows. The Muppets had a show. Um, Of course, we we see some of that um, that character movement in their parades and their stage shows. Um, So primarily stage shows, though. Primarily stage shows. um, But I've noticed, like sometimes, and maybe I'm just having I don't know. Maybe I'm remembering incorrectly. But I thought like the eye movement does happen in the parades 
um, don't they? Don't it they depends. like blink their eyes? It's kind of like I think it. You know, I know. To and talk, it, yeah. to, it to get out of the magic for just a moment, I think it depends on the show budget. Or yeah. the I know, because I'm like going because I'm like going. There's you know, Disney is so about consistency that there's so much inconsistency in that that it's frightening. But back to you, because you yeah. you will know this. So um, so I'm gonna get into Toontown here in a second. But the the Tailspin show with the live mm-hmm. it, live show in Toontown, like some mm-hmm. of the characters would move their mouths and uh-huh. talk. Um, like, I don't know, did Baloo? I think Baloo did. Um, I'm looking at you because I think yeah, you would know. Like, uh, after I did the show, I'm like going, I didn't see it anymore. Um, uh, I did the... Uh, some of them sorry, didn't. the afternoon. I'm actually... Did. If you're talking about kind of the history of of um, articulated characters at Walt Disney World, mm-hmm. it did start with the Muppets with mm-hmm. Meet the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. Meet the Muppets. And before. then I think it was mm, like mm, t- uh, early two thousands is when the articulated characters were in the castle shows. Well, they had Rafiki too doing the Lion yeah, King, and, the Lion and that King, was yeah. probably the most. Probably closest to what we could see today because okay. it was the most uh, like smooth animation, realistic. Well, and filming they'll animation. do it for filming because they did it for Mickey's. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. TVs. How how advanced do you think that's going to get in our lifetime? Do you think we're going to have <laughs> interacting well, holograms soon? Yeah, well, that's oh, the whole. I mean, they are innovators at Disney, yeah. and you know, hopefully, we got a long life ahead of us. A lot can happen. As we see in 50, 40 years, even. Yeah. yeah. Well, to answer Craig's question, I don't think seeing the argument of, well, you can see them in the parks, these characters in the parks, and they're not speaking, I don't think it's a fair argument because you see them in the stage shows and they're speaking. Yeah. So bring back Talking Mickey. Well, but, my thing is bring back Talking Mickey everywhere because they could. They, you know what I mean? They could make every Mickey in the park a Talking Mickey and, yeah. and the deline- like differentiate him from the other characters. So instead of taking away the one Talking Mickey, they should have a talking Mickey in every park. It's not that hard to do. Well, I mean, there is, I I don't know. I mean, they just say it it can be difficult. It's not as much. (laughs) This company makes billions and billions of dollars in their parks and resorts every single year. Yeah, but but there's, there's, it is a business and a bottom line. You were, go ahead, yes. But anyway, um, if you do want to see any anime characters, Disneyland did test out a talking Mickey, Minnie, and Donald. I can't find that they're still doing that, but that is something that they might bring back. Okay. Um, and There's always hope. Yeah, and, and also, uh, as far as Mickey not being in the parks, I feel like Disneyland has a little bit better grasp on that. I mean, they still have Mickey's yeah. house. Uh-huh. Um, they have uh, the, that classic Mickey face on the Ferris wheel. Um, so if you're, <laughs> until this runaway railway <laughs> attraction comes in, um, if you're really wanting a good dose of Mickey, perhaps go on out to California. But Craig... For those wanting to continue on loving Mickey. Well, okay, so here's the deal. I uh, I think I mentioned it every episode, but I'm a father. I don't know if this is breaking <laughs> news, um, but <gasps> I have a, I have a nearly a three year old, and Aww. so what that means is that we're starting to get into that age where, um, like, the screen time thing could actually be a little productive because you start to learn things through like TV shows and things like that. And when I was growing up, it's kind of surprising. You know, we I grew up in the inception of the Disney Channel, and you had to have the whole super pay cable package, which my parents did get finally. Uh, at, that was like the best way for a cable company to just coerce adults to buying, much like they're doing with a certain streaming service, Disney oh. Plus, coming up here in 2019. But there were quality programs on the uh, Disney Channel? Oops, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but uh, so before that, though, you learned a lot from watching shows like Barney and and watching shows like Reading Rainbow and all these PBS classics that were out there. And um, what I always thought was interesting was that Mickey was such a, a huge thing for kids, but there wasn't really that avenue of like an educational type of TV show for kids. And so enter uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse for uh, all the new gen whatevers coming up right now. Um, it was on air from 2006 to 2016. And I got to tell you, they're really great stories. And what I I like about Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and how it's keeping the Disney legacy alive is that it really has the main five characters in every single episode and uh, it, it continues to not only educate people through those episodes but also uh, bring in 
some of the Disney lore and some of these older animated characters that you don't see um, anymore. And, uh, you know, like Pete is in just about every episode as kind of the antagonist. And you get to see all these interactions with uh, different Disney properties throughout. And I, I'm really impressed with it. Like, it's it's a kid's TV show that I could watch for hours, you know. And obviously, I'm into Mickey. But it also, along the way, teaches people how to do the ABCs and how to count and things like that in a really creative way that uh, I really enjoy. So it's really cool to bring that to yeah. the next generation. It is a 3D. It's CGI. <laughs> it is yeah. CGI. Um, but I think it works well for the the show that they're going for, um, which is really neat. I have to say, I didn't even know this existed until um, I actually <laughs> bought a, a Mickey doll uh-huh. that sang the hot dog song. Uh-huh. And yes. I wanted to keep it just from that for because it's so entertaining but then i found out it's actually attached to a show i thought that what kids were being exposed to were these new mickey uh-huh. uh, cartoons which i'm uh brett knows i'm not the biggest fan of i wanted to ask we'll you have to talk about, about those, those. The yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. i feel like they're a little violent and uh, and i know cartoons in general are violent but um but they remind me of ren and stimpy and i and i'm I like i say, don't want little kids watching style. this okay Let's, if we are going Oh, we're tangenting. Tangent. Well, here we, we are. Let's let, let's get there. Let's let's talk Clubhouse <laughs> first because yes. we all have opinions on that too. I like. Uh, but but yeah, no, I I I do think that it's a really cool way to expose kids to this. Yeah. And you mentioned the hot dog song, hot dog, hot dog, hot, hot diggity, diggity dog. dog. Um, <laughs> that has roots in Mickey as well. The very yeah. first words that Mickey spoke were hot dog. Oh, yeah, hot and dog. so it's just yeah. really cool hot because dog. it seems well, it seems really really random. Good. Thank you. You got a great oh, Mickey. Oh boy! <laughs> you got a great Mickey impression. Thank you. Uh, Walt would be pleased, but so <laughs> or it's cool anyway. that they Sorry, use this to, uh, you know, to, to be this educational piece and to get kids hooked on Disney right away. Yeah. But at the same time, they they bring in some of those old pieces and yeah. in a creative way. Also, they might be giants. Does all the music and I <gasps> oh, love them. Yes. So, oh, I, I didn't find that, that out till my. Uh, uh, my kid wanted to listen to it on Spotify, so I looked it up, and the entire album is "They Might Be Giants." Wow, so, that's awesome! Yeah, they do all the uh, they did the theme song, they did "Hot Diggity Dog," they did this all just that. Reaffirms my belief that all kids should be so and check out Mickey Mouse watching Clubhouse. this show. <laughs> but let's talk about those newer Disney animations as well, because I think that that might be a, a good topic <laughs> to end on. So here we go. <laughs> Tell okay. us about them. So animation wise, um, they're interesting. We're talking about these new shorts that are more aimed at like mid-grade and older kids um they were kind of uh revived by paul rudish and currently this model of mickey this kind of it kind of revived mickey's pie pan eyes you know a little bit of a retro look which i do like i always thought his 30s look was very appealing um it kind of uses this kind of flat graphic art style which I'll tell you. So animation now, especially for TV, is um, there's a lot done with 2D rigs. Now, I could go on a tangent all day about 2D rigs and my feelings about them in 2D animation. It's kind of like the 3D principles where we talked about how time-consuming traditional animation is a 2D rig moves something kind of flat. It's popular in web animation, but it's you know become more advanced. Disney knows how to make it look good, but... I'm not wild about it. You might recognize it in like the new DuckTales, Star vs. the Forces of Evil. It's nice. They have designs that complement it and work with it well. But it looks a little a little flat to me. And obviously that's the look. You know, it's okay to look flat. It's a 2D cartoon. But there's something not quite as lifelike about it. Now, the overall tone of the cartoons... Um, now I, I will say, though, despite the animation, I do think you know, lovely work is done there, obviously, you know, so I love to work there myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I would never talk bad about the animation done there. It's just juxtaposed to the golden era animation. It does make you kind of yearn for that time a bit, but I can appreciate the modern sensibilities, of course. And there's a wonderful kind of... Um, mid-century, you know, like background style art that I just love. It's very reminiscent of the backgrounds in um, 
101 Dalmatians, which, funny enough, I you guys probably know this, Walt wasn't crazy about the look of that movie. I love it. I kind of love the Xenograph era Disney because I love mm-hmm. seeing their pencil marks and all that. That kind of stylized look. So they know how to implement that. But I, you guys probably know what I'm saying, though, that some of the characters, like what they did to Goofy, boy, man, yeah. they were hard on Goofy. Yeah. <laughs> they had him look like he fell on hard times. It's, it's a little, <laughs> um, I don't want to say meaner, but it's a little bit, I feel like this is a trend that started a little bit with, um, have you guys seen Runaway Brain? It was the short from 95 that I think it preceded a Goofy movie. Mm-hmm. And attempts to kind of modernize Mickey and make Mickey cool have always kind of made me feel like, oh, you're making him almost more uncool when you do that. Just yeah, like it's trying too hard. That makes you be. Yeah, when I saw Runaway Brain, it's, you know, it's the 90s. You know, you got Mickey playing video games, you know, violent video games. And he's, you know, this is back when we thought video games were all like, you know, crack for kids, you know, and he's hypnotized by the game. It's it's a wonderful cartoon, don't get me wrong. The animation's beautiful, but it's very modernized Mickey. Um, maybe... Uh, I'm not the only one, but you guys feel like this. You didn't, well, yeah. I think that I think yeah. since that time, there's been a, more of an appreciation for you know for mid-century and for classic things. We don't have to we don't have to have a contemporary Mickey. You know, yeah. I think exactly. I think they were trying to they were gauging their market to well, we have to make Mickey current in order for to appeal to the exactly. taste of the kids now. When um, perhaps that isn't where Mickey needs to be. Well, where yeah, it would eventually the economy of yeah but anyway um it, yeah it's more crude you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah like you said yeah. it's almost not quite to the level of Ranston. but i but, but yeah I, but i i enjoy it i mean i well, very much enjoy it i very much <laughs> enjoy it and i haven't watched a whole lot but what i've watched um it's um it, and i from what I, and i was doing a little bit of research and there's there's very little there there isn't a whole lot of dialogue it's no. more it's more action yes and so there it has more of an international appeal yeah um and it can that's you know, so i so thought that film. was interesting with the 90th birthday celebration was they did that reel of all the mickey cartoons throughout wow. the world you know that's a good um, point and that was really neat and then you only that. have to do it once you yeah. don't have to over exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah well i think you know as far as you know as far as that something we're gonna have to have yeah. you back again to talk about animation and, oh well i you know, can we? Can we please? Oh, anyway, absolutely. I'd love have to. to go. But, it's been um, a pleasure. Uh, I think, you know, we can all, yeah, anyway, the economy, things change. I tend, I tend to be more with the Vanessa that the tone of those. Thank you. I would rather watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. But uh, well, we talked a ton about Mickey Mouse this episode, and we could talk for days about Mickey Mouse. But uh, keep the conversation going. Definitely check us out on our Facebook page, particularly uh, the new Beyond the Mouse Facebook page that's still uh, up and coming here, and uh, we get more and more stuff out there all the time. So thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, continue to subscribe. To Beyond the Mouse feed on iTunes. Leave us a review. Leave us uh, uh, a message as well. And always, of course, find the rest of the Front Row shows at the Front Row Network. Or, I'm sorry, the Front Row Movie Reviews.com. Someday we'll get that website address changed over. Uh, it's only been a year that we've been a network now. Um, so, but Dominic, I want you to plug yourself because <laughs> I know that your commissions are, are very full at the moment. But if someone, uh, if someone would like to commission you for something, how would they go about getting in contact with you? Is it best to find you on Facebook? or? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Facebook, Dom Cellini Art Page. You can look up my name. I'm on Instagram at Dom Cell, uh, Twitter at Dom Cellini Art, or you can just go right to my website and contact me there. Um, just, you are right. Uh, commissions for the holidays are currently full, but if you're interested in things for the future in spring, I would be happy to have you contact me. Uh, and he, uh, I hope, maybe, maybe adjustments have been made to this, but uh, when he did the artwork for uh, the Front Row Network, uh, he was outrageously underselling himself. So I hope you charge more now. Uh, because I, I, I do, I do. We actually, good, good, good. <laughs> we actually, I think we ended up paying you more than you asked for. I was like, well, this is, when, this when is not where it's only yeah. there. Yeah, so, um, but just amazing work. And thank you so much for being on. We'd love to have you back anytime that you'd like, uh, especially 
when we Thank start you. to talk about some of these older animated films because we really haven't we're done a deep next, dive. It's so cool. I know. Oh, you guys yeah. your stuff. I'm not talking to lay people. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we, really, uh, we really need to do start doing a deep dive into some of those beginning probably with Snow White early in uh, 2019. Yay! Uh, right. I think that Sounds makes a wonderful. lot of sense. But uh, anybody else have any other announcements or want to plug anything else? Uh, just thank you to everyone who came out to the Disney trivia night that Craig and I co-hosted with our friend Troy. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was great seeing you there. And hopefully maybe we'll see you at some other events in the future. Absolutely. We do. Uh, we're starting to work on a schedule for potentially doing another front row flick here at the Hoagland Center for the Arts. If not uh, by the end of the year, definitely into the future. Uh, but we're really working on one, trying to get one nailed down for December. So uh, hopefully we will be able to announce that very shortly as well. I know that the rest of the guys have a full slate of shows and Lou wanted me to mention that he is going to do a brand new show next week. It's debuting. It's called Get Hyped and it's a show that gets you really excited to go watch the sequel or the remake of whatever's coming out. So he is Woo. doing uh, Get Hyped. <laughs> I got hyped. He's doing he's doing Rocky Four in preparation for oh, Creed Two. Okay, oh, really? All yeah. right. So because you know, of course, like Ivan Drago's back in, in oh, Creed yeah, Two. Yeah. So I like the very first excited. Creed. So yeah, oh, it was such a good movie. It was. It was that's such a good movie. The, that's that's the that's is the there, sound is there, for that Are show. there a number of <laughs> are there a number of Disney films coming out before we go? Let's see. Mm, a bazillion. So um, uh, Ralph uh, breaks the internet. Yes, next week, which is amazing. And we plan to all get uh, together at some point, hopefully uh, shortly after that and do okay. a full disclosure. Ah, I mean, yes, Ralph breaks we the internet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then you saw Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Mm-hmm. I've heard it. That happened, times. right? It was beautiful. <laughs> then, no more comments. <laughs> I can't mention without Brett crying. I'm so going to cry. I'm going to cry. Mary oh my god. I'm so hyped for that. Okay, <laughs> if things, okay, Bobbins. fingers crossed, if things work out, I'm going to see, I'm going to see a double feature at the El Capitan Theater on December 18th. I have tickets wow. or I have friends that will be going if I'm not going but I hope to be going. So it's a double feature yes at the El Capitan on December 18th to see okay. yes Mary Poppins and then Mary Poppins returns that yes. I hope you got all that. He was sobbing the whole way through. <laughs> I'm going to go get a mop. Like... Craig can we wrap this up so I can clean up this mess? Yes absolutely. Thank you so much for listening uh, and for Beyond the Mouse I'm Craig. I'm Brett. I'm Vanessa. I'm Dominic. And we We'll see you real soon in the front row.